You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Wow, praise God. Praise God. Jimmy, JT, Josh, thank you so much for leading us into the throne room of God. You know, hearing the words of Rattle, I can't help but do a couple of shout-outs this morning for people that are not with us. Uh, thinking about Anthony, Anthony and Deva. Anthony's in a hospital in Flagstaff. He was struck by a car. Uh, these, this is a young couple. This is a couple that placed membership last week. And so I want to give a shout-out. If you're watching in a hospital bedroom, and, or your bedroom at home, or living room, or wherever you're at, we want you to know that you're in our hearts, you're in our prayers. And also, that may not be where you're at. You're not in a hospital bed, right? But there are other people. Give a shout out to Mark and Corbett who are celebrating their birthdays elsewhere. These are days of celebration. These are days of life. So I hope you're soaking it up. I don't know what brings you here today, uh, but you've come to a great place. A place where if you are in a moment of transition, maybe you're hearing the quiet noise of change in your life and you are looking for something more, you've come to a good place. We're in the middle of looking at our trust and our fear and how trust can be greater than or equal to our fear. And so if you find yourself in a moment of transition of feeling all grown up and not knowing what you're doing with your life, or finding yourself holding your baby and not having quiet anymore, or maybe you've taken your baby to kindergarten, or taking your baby to college for the first time. You might be in one of those moments of change and shifting transition where things are just not what they were before, and you're listening, you're attentive, you're aware. Our lives don't always turn out as we imagine, and sometimes that's for the better, right? We look back and we just can't imagine the good things that God has done, the way God has worked through difficulties. Sometimes we get to a point in our life when we look back and things are not as good as what we hoped or imagined. We want something a little bit more. This past week I was thinking about uh, Brady, myself, in a fifth grade classroom with Mrs. Foster. Mrs. Foster was a great teacher. She was one who could take students and make them better. And she did something. She was just asking us what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I was fairly nervous. I was wringing my hands. I did not want to say this out loud. But one of my friends spoke up and he said, well, I want to be a a tennis player. And she says, okay, Ryan is going to be the next John McEnroe. It's been a few years ago. Okay. You know, there's other tennis players that have come along since then. But she was calling out of Ryan, not just being a tennis player, but being the best. Well, she called on me, and I didn't know if I was going to say that I wanted to be a minister. That's kind of a risky thing. So I went ahead and said it. I want to be a minister. Ms. Foster, great Baptist woman, she writes down, Brady is going to be the next Billy Graham. Now, clearly that has not happened. It's not going to happen. But what do you think about a teacher like that, that sees more than what we can see in ourselves, beyond us? beyond us and pushes us to be better than we are. Actually, I kind of relate to a different leader, a different person that that you might know, a guy that we've been, I've been telling you stories about him for the last several weeks, a person who was a minister's kid, 
A person who came from not a family with a lot of means, but who was given some opportunities for education, who was given a place in the palace of Pharaoh, who was given so much more, and yet he found himself at one point in his life virtually being a trash collector. He was a shepherd at this time, no longer prince of Egypt, now a shepherd wondering how life came to this. How is it that I care for my father-in-law's business? Well, I want to read to you a bit of this story and tell you a whole lot more. And so, if you would, if you're able to stand, I'm going to read just the first 15 chapters of Exodus. Oh, yeah, 15 chapters. Are you ready? Are you ready to stand? I hope you're ready. 15 verses of chapter 3. Exodus. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock beyond the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked at the bush. It was ablaze, yet it wasn't consumed. And then Moses said, I must turn aside and see at this great sight why this bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses! Moses! And he said, Here I am. And God said, Here, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said further, I am the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me, and I've also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So, come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But, Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and I say, the God of your ancestors, he sent me to you, and they say, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, this God has sent me to you. And this is my name forever. My title for all generations. 
the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, Moses was just minding his own business. He had a life. He had something of a new life. New family. He was in a new land. His third set of people to be with. And even though he'd spent 40 years in Pharaoh's palace as a prince, now he'd spent 40 years as a stinky, smelly shepherd. But he found himself at the far reaches of where he'd taken these sheep, to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, also known as Mount Sinai. And he, and he sees this bush that's a very famous and familiar bush, a bush that's burning up, but it's not scorched. It's on fire, but it's not blackened. It's unconsumed, verse 2. And Moses turns aside to look. Do you, do you have time to turn aside? Do you look at things? I mean, we've got a lot of screens that we're looking at. I can't tell you how many people I saw biking yesterday who were walking, but they were walking like this. Screens for work. Netflix screens. We've got a lot of other things. Do we have time to turn aside and look, to sit still and talk with a professional counselor? Sit down with a friend who's good at listening. Visit, if it's about something with God, with a minister in our life. Do we have time? I mean, Moses could have been a real busy bee. Amanda and I were joking about this week. You know, a real task-oriented person sees a bush on fire, goes to get some water to put it out, right? God says, whoa, whoa, don't come any closer. This is holy ground. Don't put me out. Take your sandals off. I've got something that I want to see. Because what Scripture says is that when God saw that Moses turned aside to look, he spoke to him. That turning aside, that paying attention meant something, and he spoke. And Moses said, here I am. Here I am at Mount Horeb, at the mountain of God. And in this moment, in this turning moment, which is not every day, we don't have burning bushes all the time. I don't want to give you that impression. There's a lot of discernment that has to take place. But in this moment, God says, hey, look, Moses, you just need to know I forgot. I've forgotten about my people. They're in slavery. But now I'm remembering. Now I'm hearing. And you can look at the backside of chapter 2. He comes down after hearing and begins to bring them out. It's said again in chapter 3 in verses 7, 8, and 9. We get this image of God that's this female image of God that we already saw in Pharaoh's daughter who sees little baby Moses floating on the water. She comes down into the water and dries, draws out, delivers this group of people. God says, I know they're suffering. I know what's going on. And God is ready to act. And he tells Moses that Moses is the one that's going to go. Now, I told you Moses already had a life. Things are going just fine. He's not really interested in new assignment. He's tried this whole deliverance game before, and it didn't work. He's done with it. So he's got some questions. I didn't even begin to read all of the questions that Moses asked, but I want to tell them to you. Because it's, it's Moses' excuses that I want to spend time on. 
because they're excuses that are like guises. They're like outfits for his fear of what's keeping him from action. And so let's look at his excuses. The first one is, well, who am I? Verse 11 of chapter 3. Who am I? Don't you know who I am? I'm already on my second life, God. And I, I don't know about this. I mean, this is often our response, isn't it? When we're asked to do anything, well, wait, who am I? I don't have the training. I don't have the experience. Or I've tried that before and I've failed. Uh, who am I? Please go on to the next person. This is not for me. It's, it's really an excuse, a fear of personal insecurity, right? I can't do this. You don't really know me. Did you not remember that murder thing that I did, God? I'm not the one, says Moses. And it's at this moment that I'm kind of interested in what God says. You know, what, what does God do? Does God address Moses' personal insecurity? Does he try to prop him up in some way? He doesn't. He doesn't address it at all. He doesn't say, oh, Moses, look, you got the best schooling you could possibly get in Egypt. You were raised up as a prince. Uh, Mo Moses, don't you remember, you come from a priestly family, and then you married into yet another priestly family. You're perfect. You're the one. God doesn't say, you know, all this time you spent with sheep, Moses, really helpful when leading people. This is going to help you out. No, he doesn't address Moses' personal securities at all. He comes with his presence. I'm going to be with you, is what God says. Kind of two parts to this, two angles. Moses, I will be with you. That's all the strength that you need. That's all that you need to know. I'm not concerned about your ability to do something or to not do something. I want you because I'm going to be with you. I'm Emmanuel. You know, the reason this bush doesn't get consumed is the same reason we don't get burned up in the midst of worship. We can feel the heat of God's presence. We can feel the pressure of a decision that we must make, but God will not consume us because God is close by. God is with us. And the second part of the answer to this first excuse is not simply God's presence, but a sign. And frankly, it's kind of a bad sign. I'll, I'll just say it. God says that the sign is, you'll know that I'm the Lord whenever you come back and you worship with the people here on this mountain. That's not the chronological order of a sign that I would be looking for. How about you? When it's all over and you're gathered with the people, you're going to worship right here on the mountain. Oh, okay. That's not a laying a, a fleece out, right, to get a sign before you do something. That's an after-the-fact one. So I say it's kind of a bad sign because it takes some trust to step into the heat and to step into the fire. Well, the next, the next thing that happens, you know, Moses is now energized, right? He is ready to go. He has been told that God's going to be with him, and he's ready to pack and go. No. He's got another question. Who are you? People are going to ask me who you are and what your name is, and I don't have a name, so what's the name that you would give them? This next insecurity or fear from Moses is a theological insecurity. He doesn't know if he can explain who God is. doesn't know if he has enough 
to explain it. And, and this gets to my favorite part of this whole book, and that's God telling us what God's name is. The only place that the I am or Yahweh is explained in depth as his name is given here to Moses. You tell them, God says, I am who I am. <laughs> I love that. God is, because God is. God doesn't need our belief or whatnot. He wants us, but God's going to be who God is regardless of your belief or my belief. God's going to act in this world because God is the living God, the true and living God. And now, dwelling into this word, Yahweh is one that you've probably seen. As you read through the Old Testament, you'll see an all-caps Lord. Have you noticed that? It's almost like they got the font wrong. This was the unspoken word of God. In Hebrew, we only get consonants. There weren't vowels. The vowels came along much later. And so this name of God was unpronounced except for the priests. It was holy. It was sacred. We almost have to guess how actually to pronounce it. And I risk my own life by saying Yahweh. This God who is what God is. I am what I am. He'd already told Moses who he was. He'd already said I'm your father's God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He already had told them that, and Moses was terrified. Let alone when God speaks this word, these four letters of his name. Well, you get this transcendent, creative word of God. Now Moses is ready. He's got his answers answered, right? No, wrong. Need more questions. Moses says, well, what if they don't believe me? They don't listen to me. This is an insecurity of rejection. That when we go and try to communicate who God is, that people won't listen. And Moses has personal experience on his side. God, I did this before. I had done it before. And when I did, I tried to separate the Egyptian and the Hebrew. That resulted in me killing the Egyptian. When I tried to separate two Hebrews, well, that looked at them, they, they looked at me and said, well, who made you judge? I've tried this before, and now you're wanting me to do it again? No, they don't want to listen to me. And here, in this moment, where Moses is pushing hard against this fear of rejection, he is pushed to further questions. Question four is, well, you know, I can't speak. I lack ability. Looks at his own talents and says, I'm not up to the challenge. This is in chapter four, verse 10. Or the final excuse that he gives, at least on this occasion, is just get someone else refusing it, wanting to escape. Which to this point is kind of how Moses has been living his life, right? trying to take things into his own hand and then running away when they don't work out. He cycles back to this, who am I, God? And yet God says, no, I'm sending you. Well, what do we make of this? The part that I love is what God doesn't do and what God doesn't say. In the same way he didn't prop Moses up by saying, no, you really are the one. He focuses on God instead. In that same way, here we get to the end, and God doesn't take away Moses' weakness. He doesn't take away his insecurity. 
He doesn't bring that Egyptian that Moses killed back from the dead or fix Moses' speech impediment at all. All of those things remain. Yet, God will be victorious. God doesn't even promise Moses that he won't face rejection. He will. Time and time again from Pharaoh, the king of Egypt and the power of the world. You see, when we look at each one of these insecurities, personal insecurity, theological insecurity, fear of rejection or not being heard, a fear of not having the ability or just the desire to run, with each one of these, God still says, it's me who's calling you. It's me who's asking you to do this. I'm the one that's going to be with you. And I find these to be fears. These insecurities that are wrapped up as clothes that petrify us and keep us from acting. Where we focus in maybe too much on what we can do, what our abilities are. Or we focus too much on what we can't do, those things that are outside of our control. But this is God calling. And you and I might say, we're no Moses. We're no Billy Graham. That's not who we are. God works with obscure people in everyday situations. God is looking at you and calling you. This Hebrew people, this Habiru people, they're not an ethnic group at all. They're a bunch of nomads from all different places. Their identity is one of being a melting pot. And yet God comes into this ordinary moment and says, I want relationship with you. He doesn't give Moses a bunch of things to memorize. Doesn't give him a bunch of teachings and doctrines that he's supposed to express. He says, I'm going to be with you. That's the sign I'm giving you. And the other sign is that you're going to worship with a group of people here. And it's not going to be because of your power because of your strength, it's going to be because of you. Folks, God is greater than all of your fears. That's truth. God is equal to the task of addressing your fears. So when we talk in this series about trust being greater than or equal to fear, the only fear that we're supposed to have is the fear of God. And that God is greater than all the fear and equal to the fears that you might have in your own life. This God is not like other fathers, not abusive, not prone to create terror, not to make you run away. No, this God functions more like the unseen nurturing mother who's willing to come down who nourishes you when you don't even have a thought or a breath, who nourishes you and strengthens you, who raises you up. This God is calling you to come close to him and then to go, to participate with God and what God's doing in the world. Does that make you think maybe even about what 2 Peter 1 says? You remember the Apostle Peter? That we are participants in the divine nature. Are you kidding me? Seriously? All of us? We get to participate in the divine nature of God? Yes. I mean, this God who comes down to, after hearing our cries, and draws us out, wants to live life 
with us. And so the voices that we hear, the excuses that we have, the guises of fear that we dress ourselves up in, things like, well, I, I need this fear to stick with me. I'm, I'm not any good. I'm just rubbish. No! God made you. God loves you. And God wants to live in you. That story is true throughout all of Scripture. It's repeated for us, and we see it in vivid, flaming colors with Moses, where God says, I'm going to attach myself to creation. I'm coming down to my people, and they're going to remember my name forever as the God who always is, who is always present with us. We don't have anything else to fear. Those things that are inside of us, we can acknowledge that they're there, but we don't have to turn aside and look at them, do we? We're going to turn aside and look at the flaming presence of God in our lives and depend upon that God. So you, what is it for you? Are you being nudged to be a group leader? Are you being nudged to be an elder? Are you being nudged to help out with children's ministry or to participate in the ministries of this church? What are those things that you're being nudged to do but you've been making a longer list than Moses of things, of reasons why you can't be involved in church, of reasons why you can't participate in the lifeblood first Christian. Here in this story, I have found just such encouragement because what we find in Scripture are stories of common people that are like us, messy people. Their lives are not all together. And these stories speak to us a truth, a wisdom that has been timeless for thousands of years to let us know that we're a part of something much bigger than our own lives. That our weaknesses and our strengths get swallowed up in the burning flames of God as His presence is in our lives. Oh sure, we can complain. There's a lot that we can complain about, about God's presence. 430 years, God, is that how long it takes you to get a hearing appointment? I know Albuquerque is difficult to get medical appointments, but 430 years of slavery? God, we can address these questions to God and know that He will deal with them in His time. And our insecurities, they're present, but they can be dismissed as we lean into the greater fear of God. How are you going to respond to God's call today? Maybe you need someone to talk to. I'm going to be around. You might need someone to pray with to really express your heart of what you're going through. Maybe you're needing to find Jesus for the very first time and you don't know how to take that first step. Here at First Christian, we are a group that is simply trying to follow Jesus. That's what we're about. You will not find perfect people around here, but you will find people that are devoted to becoming like Jesus. And we welcome you to, to not only learn from us, but to teach us. We need your insight. Let's offer all of this to God in prayer as we close. God, we thank you for the honor of taking off our shoes and coming into your presence to worship you. We thank you that we can turn aside our heads and look at you knowing there's much that we could be paying attention to, much 
that we could be listening to and drawing us down, but we'd instead turn to you in worship and praise. We gather around your table to eat of the body and of the blood of Jesus, to remember that we have his blood coursing through our veins, that we can draw deeply into our lungs the breath of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that the worship that's taken place today will strengthen us going forward into this week as you go with us, promising us your presence. We beg of you, don't leave us alone. Go with us through Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever we pray. Amen.